This episode of Philly's Therapy is brought to you by Loop. Ask any ball player, and they'll say there's no better feeling than coming up with a big hit when it matters most. Download the number one sports card app and get those big hits for yourself. Join Loop and get access to live sports card streams all day, every day. Our community hits cards that are worth up to thousands of dollars every night. Get a piece of the action for yourself. Download Loop for free today at loop.cards. That's L-O-U-P-E dot cards. Loop, sports cards 24-7. Once again, ladies, gentlemen, fanatics of all ages, welcome back to the circus that is Phillies Therapy, a podcast about your Philadelphia Phillies who, if they haven't killed you already, seem intent on doing so before the season is even half over. (laughs) So much happens every single week with this team. You You almost wish that things would slow down for just a second. Things could be normal and that maybe an episode of the show could be boring for a change. But no, we have (laughs) we have our beloved Philadelphia Phillies sitting at 11 and 15. Somehow only that's third place in the National League East. I guess we kind of have the Nationals to thank for most of that. On the heels of one of the most um, interesting losses of the last few years. And by last few, I mean last 140, uh, where, as you know by now, the Phillies blew a 7-1 lead in the ninth inning to lose to the Mets, dropped seven games back in the standings. The subsequent two games have been postponed due to rain, and here we are on, on Saturday the 7th, recording an episode where the Phillies have not played baseball, thankfully, for almost 48 hours, and still we have no idea what to make of what's to come. But to try and help me figure out exactly what's going on and where we might be going is Destiny Lugardo of Phillies Nation, who's uh, kind enough to join me and, and help me out on the couch here uh, as, I, as I try and figure out and sort through my feelings of exactly what's going on here and how hard I should take a loss like Thursday. Destiny, thanks so much for hopping on and, and trying to help me figure out exactly what's going on here. Do you have... Any idea what Thursday's game might mean for this team, or if it's something we're just going to look back on, hopefully in only a couple of weeks, and just kind of laugh at, maybe? You can't really hide from how disastrous of a loss that really is. Mm. Um, it's appropriate that they have a couple of days to think about it. Maybe it would be better if they, you know, it was a night game, and then they came back in the afternoon, and they have to play Max Scherzer. Maybe they uh, toughen it out. Mm-hmm. win that game, whatever, but they have to really think about what really happened on Thursday and who they really want to be afterwards. So, um, yeah, I, what we were saying before recording, Bryce Harper went on to, to say after the post game, you know, this loss isn't going to define us, but they really have to prove to their fans and to themselves that this is the loss that's not going to define them this year. They sure do. Uh, I, th- it's hard not to look at a game like that after the last couple of years of, you know, late season collapses where it it, it sort of hurt a little bit more than a game in early May, but you you almost have to wonder who Bryce is really trying to convince there, right? Because we as fans are looking at this from the outside and saying, no, actually you've done a lot of this 
over the last couple of years. You you've been expected to be better. You had a six run lead in the ninth inning and couldn't hold it in a division rivalry game that now puts you seven games back in early May. Um, I'm not really sure I'm buying it right now. Like I, the the takeaway, I think it was either it was either uh, Alex Coffey or Scott Lauber over with the Inquirer and Daily News. I, I think who who. Uh, published a story you were talking about and there was a, a takeaway quote from alec bowman there that was like we needed to hear that and i'm like oh okay great what what you need to hear is that it gets late early as yogi Berra used to say i know we're only in early may here but you're seven games back you can't punt games like that so what i'm thinking is maybe it really does define them and they have a lot of work to to prove us wrong can they set the record straight? Like, will a doubleheader sweep on Sunday? They're currently scheduled to play two games on Sunday against the Mets. Will a doubleheader sweep sort of get everybody back in their chairs, back in their seats and paying attention? Or do we need something a little bit more prolonged here? Is there a lot more work to do in May than just that? Well, I think you pointed out the Phillies haven't swept a doubleheader against the Mets in what, 10 years? So long time. it's going to, yeah. And they haven't been really good in doubleheaders in the last few years. And the Mets, they won their doubleheader. And it seems the last couple of years, they've been, they've been really good in those situations. And also, like I said, Max Scherzer is one of the pitchers in those games. So yep. it's, it's going to be tough to get two wins. I, I do think if they do get two wins, it'll make people feel a lot better. I don't think you know, anything that happens in the next few days, I don't think it's going to completely um, get people to move past what happened on Thursday because it was just a horrific collapse. I think you know, I agree with you. Something more prolonged has to happen. If they go on the West Coast and beat a, a decent Seattle Mariners team and fight against the Dodgers, I think that'll make people feel a lot better. Mm. Um, but yeah, they have to start playing better against the Mets. <laughs> I think if, if they lose two games, they're going to be nine games back in the NL East. And Personally, for me, I didn't think they would, you know, win the NL East. I thought they would mostly be a wild card team, but it already feels like the Mets are pulling away from everyone. And I know everybody says, you know, the Mets are going to collapse at some point, but they have a lot of stability in their starting rotation, even without Jacob DeCrom. And it seems like all the veterans that they did bring in um, have kind of remade their their clubhouse culture. And Buck Showalter is also a part of that. Um, So you can't really treat the Mets like, you have been doing the last few years, you know, even going back to 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is another thought that I was having, and this isn't really quite related, but um, I was a little sad thinking about Phillies fans who are 16, 17, who haven't really experienced the 07, 011 years. They'll yeah. never, they, they don't know what it's like to beat the Mets. And that's really sad to me. And <laughs> they're lasting. Right, yeah. <laughs> No, you're right. I mean, uh, look, it, this team is five and two against the Colorado Rockies and six and 13 against everybody else. And four of those wins came in that one series, right? Like th- this is a team that has gotten off to a, a really poor start. And as an outsider, I, I agree with you that there is an existential element to being a fan of a team that has a recent history of, of silly collapses or just things going wrong in spectacular ways. And I think some Mets fans feel that way about their own team, like we do about the Phillies. But from the outside, this Mets team does not look that unstable. I agree with you. I think there's some stability there and that things look different about the Mets this year. 
Um, but they do have a lot to prove, not necessarily in this doubleheader on Sunday, which, as you pointed out, is is a potentially big swing doubleheader if they lose two games and are nine games out, even though, yes, they were not division favorites. That's a, that's a huge deficit, even for early May. Then they have to play for two weeks against West Coast teams who they usually don't really play that well against, especially when they go out West. I don't love how much earlier in the season these these critical points are getting where it feels like the Phillies have to string together, you know, not just series wins, but like convincing series wins, maybe a four or five plus game winning streak in there somewhere to just sort of feel like they're in the mix. It doesn't feel like. It doesn't get you excited to look at a team that's seven games back in the standings and be like, ah, yeah, but they're still in the mix for the wild card. You know what I mean? You like to feel like there's there's a division chance still at play, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially with, you know, how long has it been since they've been in the playoffs and how much money they spent? You mm-hmm. would hope that they have some sort of chance to compete for a division in the last couple months of the year. But I was thinking this too. What if the next month or so of games were easy opponents like the Nationals, the Reds, um, they're already done with the Rockies, the Pirates? Would mm-hmm. that make you feel any better about how this team has to perform in the month? Because we all know that they've struggled a lot with weaker opponents, and it feels like if they lose a bunch of games, then they're missing out on their opportunity. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know the point I'm trying to make, but I, I don't know if you know the more difficult games make me feel you know worse or or better about this team's chances if they you know if they fight against these opponents yeah i i hear you i I think it's a little bit tough because the schedules always seem to have these ebbs and flows right everybody runs into a tough stretch and then there's a little bit of room to breathe i guess maybe things are a little bit tougher if you're an nl west team these days because the nl seems pretty good and then you also have to play What's probably the the deepest set of of the top teams in the the uh, the Giants, Dodgers, and even the Padres when they're going right. But looking ahead in in the Phillies schedule here, it it almost seems like they don't have a, a potential time to breathe until we get into the second week of June, where they have a homestand with the Diamondbacks and Marlins, who the Marlins are are not a pushover this year, and then they go on the road to play the Nationals for four games and the Rangers for two more games, these strange two-game series with the Rangers, and then four more out west with the Padres before getting back into it with you know the Braves and the Cardinals. There's really not a lot of time to collect yourself after you know a collapse like Thursdays. I would feel a little bit better if the schedule were a little bit weaker in the immediate aftermath of that, just because I'd feel like the chances of you know them getting their feet back under them would be a little bit elevated. Um, but it, it would, at the same time, if they come back and you know, post a winning record through this next stretch into early June, you could start feeling like, oh, okay, maybe they are finally getting their act together. Maybe they are playing like they should. But I'm not really sure what needs to change between now and then to get this monkey off their back to win a couple of meaningful games and string them together. Does it come down to team environment? Does it come down to needing to make a move on from Girardi in a couple of weeks if this team is still, you know, a handful of games under 500. You mentioned Buck Showalter and how well things seem to be going with the Mets and, you know, cohesiveness there. Is some of this just eventually, inevitably 
going to come down on Girardi and force him out before the end of the year? It might. Firing Girardi is the easiest fix, and it sounds like there's a lot of pressure from the fan base, social media. Um, you think back to when they hired Girardi, what was he supposed to bring? He was supposed to bring stability to the club. Um, he was a manager with a winning track record. They they haven't won yet. I, re- I don't really know what stability really means for a baseball team and how, you know, yeah. how Gabe was, but um, I can't really evaluate that. He was supposed to be someone who um, was good at talking to the media. There's, he, I guess he's fine. I could say that. Um, there's yeah. been a few um, moments where you could question that. Um, it just seems like there were so many high expectations with Girardi and he's not exceeding any of them or even coming close. So um, the weird thing about managers and firing them in season that it doesn't seem like it's happening quite often. So they might go towards the end of the season and, and make a decision on him. But really, I, I think it comes down to this team needs to hit more consistently. Um, I can't even say they need better starting pitching performances because they got two gems out of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola they and they couldn't capitalize. Oh, yeah, boy. exactly. Um, and they signed Corey Knebel. The first month was pretty good. And then they got that out of him. So there's now there's questions on is the closer the guy you thought he is um there's questions on i feel like there's there's very little trust with uh jury's familia um so so you wonder like who are the guys that you could trust in those late inning situations and you're looking through this whole roster and trying to find some sort of stability and it's it's really tough to find so you know maybe they go out on the west coast something clicks they start hitting they rack up a few wins and then maybe you feel a little bit better but that could be the best case scenario. And that's at the same time, not really where they need to be. You know what I'm really looking forward to now that news has, has come out a little bit earlier this afternoon, that um, the extra man for the double header tomorrow against the Mets is going to be Francisco Morales, who a lot of people have been very excited about fully converted reliever used to be a starter kind of getting the Sir Anthony Dominguez treatment from a few years ago, where he looks really strong to start this year in the upper minors it's going to come up and apparently be available for the games on Sunday. I think it would be really cool. It would not solve everything. Don't get me wrong, but I think it would be really cool and a real nice shot in the arm. If during one of those games, Morales comes in, in a decent spot, decent leverage. Doesn't have to be the ninth inning. Doesn't have to be tying run on third base in the eighth inning or anything huge like that. But if he comes on and really shows something, then I, at least for my part, can be like, oh, okay, so we do actually have reinforcements back there who can do something. I know it's one game, one appearance, you know, small sample, sure. It would be nice to see even a flash of something like that. Because I think, and, and, and you touch on this with, you know, with Girardi, I think we all accept that this is Girardi's last year, whether he finishes it, whatever, whatever point they get to. They win the World Series, he's going to retire a winner. If they fall a little bit short of the World Series, he's he's going to get let go with his option not picked up like he was in his last year in New York. If he, <laughs> if God forbid, more of what happened this week happens into late May, he might not, you know, see June or July. I, I don't really know. I, I think the fact of the matter is the option isn't going to get picked up for next year no matter what happens. He doesn't really seem like he wants to be here, you know, much longer anyway. It would be great to have a little bit of a reason to think, oh, 
the immediate future and possibly a slightly longer term future isn't so bleak, even though things have been ridiculous the last, well, three, four weeks, right? Yeah, definitely. It's also reassuring to know that one of their best relievers last year, Connor Brogdon, is in AAA, and it feels like he's getting his velocity back. They have a few other pitchers on the 60-day IL. Um, obviously, they'll probably be back sometime in June, hopefully. So there are reinforcements in the bullpen, and it seems like they're going – they didn't really do this last year. They didn't really believe in, I guess, the – the really the bullpen churn that's been popularized throughout the sport. And I feel like they're going to try and mix and match, even though it might, you know, spell the end of, of James Norwood or Andrew Bellotti, whoever. Um, but yeah, it, it would be nice to see Morales get into the game, um, whether it's high leverage or whether it's a mop-up role, whether they're, you know, winning by six, that's not a mop-up role anymore. Uh, <laughs> or, right, they're, yeah. or they're losing by 10. Um, it would be nice to see a young guy like him, step up um but yeah it's it's it would be exciting to to see it I, I don't know if he'll last much longer than the doubleheader he might just be the the 27th guy and then come back and then yeah. he'll monitor his situation down in the minor leagues yeah that sounds fair um and the, and those are guys who you know in the future could help you mentioned brogdon that's a good pull I, I like Connor brogdon a lot and i think if he's at full strength he could be an asset for sure but those are guys who are not currently on the team one guy who is currently on the team and is once again the focus of of criticism, some of it deserved for his slow start, some of it maybe not so deserved, uh, is our good friend Reese Hoskins, who is in the midst of another one of his cold streaks, um, the ones he so frequently vacillates between uh, <laughs> being like this and being so hot you can't come within 10 feet of him. Uh, he's hitting 187 so far this year. He's drawn a few walks, which is, you know, his calling card. So his on base is just shy of 300, despite the really low batting average slugging. Isn't really there. He's only got two home runs so far struck out 31 times and just over a hundred plate appearances. He is by just about any measure, not off to a good start. He's been okay on defense. He's made a couple good plays. He's he's missed on a couple others. I think that's pretty typical. Um, but this is a guy whose future with the team is pretty constantly in flux. I think you could get a different answer from any person you ask. What's what is the place for a guy like Reese Hoskins on this team, given the additions they've made, even with the DH that now seems to be taken up although that's a completely different discussion with Harper the way he is right now. Is this a guy who is just going to be here until his arbitration years run out and then, okay, you're a free agent? Is he somebody to believe in? Because I feel like a hot streak is coming. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, maybe we do need to give him a couple of years of extension. Or is he somebody who probably just doesn't really fit on this team anymore, given the way they're trending? What do we do with Reese Hoskins? And is the criticism that's being leveled at him uh both on the macro with his performance right now and the micro with you know things like his reaction to ending the Mets collapse game uh is, is that fair and warranted I mean first off on his long-term future it's hard to see the Phillies I, I don't want to make the excuse that money will be the problem because they're the Phillies they should you should expect them to spend the amount of money it takes to to put together a winning team each year. Absolutely, um, yeah. But with 
you know, Castellanos on a five-year deal, Schwarber on a four-year deal, Harper, real, like really like all these all these players that could use some time at the DH, and you know, even Alec Bone looks a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Somehow Girardi didn't want to start him at first base today, but we don't really need to talk about that because that game right. never happened. But right, right. Um, it's hard to envision a long-term future where they possibly extend him. Um, he just might be a player that you go year by year with. Um, just take it until his arbitration years and and see what you have in him because he is a hitter that when he's really hot, he could really carry the team. And when there's a bunch of cold hitters around him, which feels like that's what's going on right now. You need a, a hitter like him who could drive in runs, get on base, take his walks and really set the tone for the Phillies. And that's what he's been doing the last few years. And hopefully hey, this doesn't happen this year because they have so many guys around him. But the last two years when he got injured, this lineup sort of died with him. So totally, there's, there's a lot of value to Reese Hoskins. And as far as the criticism that he gets, it, it kind of seems like this is a problem with a lot of the homegrown guys. A lot of the times they have flaws that are pretty noticeable. And the reason why they keep getting brought up is because they're here and they've been here for years and people watch them day in and day out and they get exposed. Um, mm-hmm. The people that don't like him, if you're someone who really values batting average, you don't like Reese Hoskins because right, right. now he's batting under 200. And even when he's good, he's probably not, above 250 um if you're someone who doesn't really appreciate walks and kind of gets annoyed when someone doesn't swing at the pitches that you believe that they should hit out of the ballpark you know maybe Reese isn't the guy for you um the strikeouts could bother you uh, but really like Reese is a power guy and when he's on he could get on base at a really high clip and like I said before, when he gets really hot, he could carry the team. And he's one of those few homegrown guys that has really gone out of his way to be a face of the team. And maybe he doesn't really have to do that this year because there are so many guys who Dave Dombrowski brought in and said, this is a guy that I want his back, but I also want his leadership. So maybe he's mm-hmm. taking a back seat. But I can understand the frustration with him. It is, as someone who appreciates Reese Hoskins, it is tough to watch him get into what seems like a, a slump that's been going on for the last three weeks, but inevitably, you know, that he's going to get hot. Um, so yeah, the, the criticism I understand, especially when he's in a cold streak, but at some point it it's weird baseball, whenever you're like, Oh, this player stinks or, Oh, like this player is like a superstar. Like it kind of just, it turns on itself really quickly. And Reese Hoskins mm-hmm. is one of those players. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. I I sympathize, I guess, with the people who look at Reese Hoskins and are like, "Why is he still here? Like, wh- what is what is he actually adding? Is he really that much better than somebody else you could plug over at first base?" I get it because his style is unsexy, right? He he is an unsexy offensive player. He can get hot and eventually end up with you know a good home run total at the end of the year. He's done it a few times. He's got the strength to pop 30 home runs every year. Uh, but, when, but when he's not white hot and smoking the ball everywhere, he's not always in a ridiculously cold slump. It hasn't been great. Like this current one aside, when he's just going normally, he's getting on base in a quiet way 
by taking a lot of those walks, working a lot of counts, really grinding pitchers down, there is value in his approach. Even if he's not hitting the ball out of the park or, or even lower than that, hitting you know doubles down the line. I've always thought he was something of a special hitter. I have to be careful using that term because it makes you think, oh, Juan Soto's a special hitter. What's Reese Hoskins got on him that, that gets him that label too? But there's very few hitters in the game who work counts the way Hoskins does, even when he's cold. And I think there's real value in that. You get through pitchers quicker, especially now when you know pitchers don't have near the leashes that they used to. I do yeah. agree, I do continue to agree with you, though, that if the long-term future just does not get any clearer, and these up and downs really don't seem to help that cause. Yeah, especially I think he's going to be 31 when he hits free agency, and he's a Scott Boris client. And I know um, sometimes people stereotype those clients and say, well, they all wait to go to the free agency and get their market value. But sometimes they do sign extensions, but it is difficult, especially if he's not, you know, you don't want to use the term special hitter, but he's not right now. He's definitely not the best hitter on the team. So it's right. hard to, to make the case that the Phillies should extend their relationship with him. But I think it, it's just totally fine to wait and see over these next two years, what value he brings the Phillies, you know, barring a disaster, they should be in contention. So there will be use for him. There will be use for his bat. Um, and he'll play first base. So I, I think, yeah, keep on to him. There's no excuse to say they need to cut him because they need to cut salary. I think that whole argument is ridiculous. So um, something to see in the next couple of years where they're at with him and, you know, make an evaluation there. But for right now, he's here. And whether you like it or not, he's going to be hitting fourth or hitting fifth or <laughs> wherever he is in the lineup. You're, we're stuck with him no matter what. Yeah, no, that's that's. That's absolutely true. And as a West Coast boy, he's probably at least a little bit excited that the Phillies are going to be heading out West uh, this week as they take a trip out to Seattle for three games and then down to Los Angeles to face the Dodgers for four. Now, recently, things have not gone well for the Phillies out in Los Angeles. Seattle, they don't play nearly as much. I feel like it's been a little bit... um, at the very least, since I've been able to see a game that the Phillies have played out in Seattle, but that they've been out there in general, the way the schedules rotate. That's a pretty big seven games because Seattle has a lot of exciting players, even if you know some of those younger rookies and, and second year players haven't exactly come out of the gate uh, super hot. But they're a good team. They're not they're not a team to mess around with, especially with the moves they made this offseason, picking up guys like Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez and have a couple of exciting pitchers led by Logan Gilbert, who is a young guy who's come out of the gate really hot. And then the Dodgers who are the class of the national league. And if the Phillies really want to fancy themselves as a contender, they need to have a strong showing in that four game series. Uh, is this a, I hate to keep breaking out these terms so early in the year because it really, it almost feels ridiculous, but is this a make or break seven game stretch with seven games on the road against interesting and very good West Coast teams? At this point, you just hope you don't lose every single game. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> That's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if they go three and four, wh- whatever happens at the doubleheader tomorrow, I think that's a, a somewhat fine outcome. Um, it's not going to help them in the standings, but it's going to keep them afloat. And really, that's all 
if they if they stay afloat in this next few month in in this next month where they're playing these more difficult opponents, I think they'll be fine. If you look in the schedule over the summer, the opponents do get a little bit easier, and hopefully this offensive environment gets a little better for them, and they can start hitting home runs, and they can really beat up beat up on some poor pitching staff. So, yeah, Seattle. I, it was really cool to see their mini run to the postseason, even though they didn't end up getting there last year. And the contrast, I I found myself contrasting the energies of the Phillies and the Mariners, even mm. though a lot of the, the guys on the Mariners haven't been there for a while. They all understood the history and what it meant to the fans to actually make the postseason. And that's something that I didn't really get from the Phillies. I remember asking Joe Girardi when, I was in Atlanta last year, you know, do the guys really carry those, you know, 10 years without a postseason experience on their shoulders? And his answer was like, oh, I don't, I don't really think so. You know, the guys that have been here long, like they, that's kind of how they see it. Like they've hmm. been here for three years or five years and they haven't been to the postseason. Um, as opposed to, you know, JP Crawford, our friend and everybody on the Mariners, it felt like oh, they him. understood that this meant a lot to the fan base and they wanted to do it for them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how these two teams match up. I, you know, secretly rooting for the Mariners. Um, it's a really fun team, but um, yeah, like let, let's see how, it, and it's been a while since, since they played there. I think it's like 2017, 2018. So it's really interesting okay. to see a different opponent. Yeah, you know, it certainly is. I, I like this part of the schedule and the idea of, um, tilting the schedule a little bit more toward these matchups. They're removing, starting next year, they're removing some divisional matchups, making sure the teams play, I think, at least one series against every opponent, yeah. which is cool, which is cool. I, I think it's great. I'm somebody who who likes interleague play during the regular season. I think it's neat to mix things up. I know that some of those games can be of uh, a little less consequence for division races and and people, some folks don't like taking away importance from that. I get it. But I, I think the variety of teams is more appealing to me in that sense. So I like that they're going out to Seattle. I like that they're seeing a different team. I like that they're going to have a chance, like you mentioned, because that is a great environment. That is a great baseball environment out in Seattle. I like that they're going to get out there and play three games against a team that has uh, a lot of things going right, mostly on the pitching side, but some uh, offensive uh, uh, standouts, are, including Crawford. <laughs> like I said, I miss dearly. Um, but also are playing some prized youngsters who are off to slow starts, but aren't getting um, benched yet, or they're not being given up on, which I think is one of the problems that the Phillies find themselves in, where it seems like they give up maybe too soon or mishandle, if that's the right word, some of these prospects and homegrown guys who don't immediately come up and succeed. You know, I think you touched on that a couple of minutes ago. There is something in the water with Philadelphia where they have trouble graduating guys. It's nice to see Alec Baum has, you know, for the moment broken out of that and is hitting well and his defense has recovered from that three error game. Uh, but by and large, they just don't have the kind of success that other teams seem to have in bringing these guys up. Now, the Mariners are having a bit of a, a, a rough go, uh, relatively speaking, with Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick as two examples. But those are guys who have really bright futures, even with their struggles so far early this year. There is a lot of hope both in the present and the future in Seattle. And you kind of hope that the Phillies would 
latch on to that, right? Because I, I can't be alone in thinking that there is less urgency with these Phillies teams than the fans might want them to have. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out, something that you were somewhat hitting at, when Alec Bone was struggling, and I, I know there was a whole week in between when that three-era game happened and then when he actually played, mm-hmm. I hope it told the Phillies that these players can develop at the major league level and you should play those players to get out of their respective funks. So mm. I don't really understand why once Bryson Stott started struggling, they kept him on the bench for a week or two. I'm not sure, but you know, with Didi going on the IL, hopefully he gets a chance to play. Maybe, maybe Joe puts Johan Camargo in there, but yeah, I, I would like to see the Phillies actually give their young guys a chance to figure it out in the major league level. Uh, I know you know, there's a balance between it's a win now team, but they also want to develop their prospects. And I think you could do both of that at the same time. It's not always about, but part of the conflict is that Joe Girardi really does prefer his veterans in certain situations. It's why Didi, despite all his struggles last year, was getting regular playing time. But there is a world where a young player could struggle and you don't have to either put him on the bench and have him do whatever or put him down in the minor leagues you could actually play him and maybe he'll actually develop and figure something out and it'll be it'll help his career in the long run I don't know <laughs> well I I think playing Bryson Stott would really be helpful you know it, it's not ideal to lose a guy like Didi who I think you can go back and forth on whether his numbers so far are quote-unquote real he went on the IL hitting 288 not slugging very much but a lot of his contact numbers and and the the power with which he was hitting the ball, he wasn't really barreling it up. He was a lot of soft grounders and uh, Texas leaguers that were finding holes for hits. Not necessarily something you count on happening for an entire season. Totally different discussion. I think with Didi going on the IL and stop coming back up, instead of somebody like Nick Maton, who uh, could be more of a stopgap move, I guess, for 10 days, depending on how you know severe Didi's injury actually ends up being, the fact that Stott has come back up and he hit well in AAA tells me that they probably want to play him. I, I, I think if he won't start every game, and he probably won't just judging by the way these lineups have been assembled, nobody does. He won't play every game, but he'll probably see the field a decent bit while he's up. I would hope he does because I'm with you. I think there's only one way for these guys to get better when they struggle, and that's to work with the major league coaches, especially when they're you know the really talented ones like, like Stott is to work with the major league coaches and to put their adjustments to work to actually get them in games, to try them out and get them comfortable because this up and down stuff and constantly tinkers that well, we saw it with Crawford who we're going to come across with the Mariners. The swing tinkering was endless and they couldn't figure out exactly how frequently to play him. And they kept moving him up and down while he had the options until they finally were like, eh, no, nah, that's not really going to work and traded him as part of the Segura deal a few years ago out to Seattle. You can't keep doing that. At some point, you have to make these adjustments in the cage and on side sessions and wherever, and then actually have it play out in the game because all of the improvement that you want to see from these guys can't happen behind the scenes. And I think that's where a lot of frustration comes from with us as fans because from the outside, we don't see the work that happens behind the scenes. Sure, they could be doing stuff behind the scenes, 
I'm sure they work. It's not like it's not like they're professional athletes who just, you know, sit around until it's game time. But we can't actually get a chance to experience what changes might be made or, or hope that they're working until they're actually in games and get consistent playing time. So for my money, yeah. I would want to see Stott in most of these games while he's up. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of the times it feels like the the fate of a lot of the top prospects that come in is that they'll play you hope that they could fill some sort of role in the major league team. And then when it doesn't work, they're traded. Um, I, I don't think that's going to be the case with Bryson Stott because there's a you know clear way with Dede Gregorius being a free agent, with Gene Segura having that club option, possibly not getting picked up. I think he's going to be a big part of the team next year and maybe this year. Um, but with Alec Bohm, you're, you're not sure, even, even though he's playing well. So hopefully they in the next few years, they get out of this weird conundrum with prospects where they're trying to get more homegrown. And even though they have a lot of guys that are, that are on these, you know, these really big contracts, they, they get these guys and they have them play some sort of role in the roster and not have them go up and down. And really it's, it's, it's unfair to their development really. Um, So hopefully the manager realizes that the front office realizes that and stock gets a chance to play, give DD a chance to heal his injury. I don't, I'm not sure how serious it is, but if Stott's playing then he doesn't really need to rush back. Yeah, exactly. And even though a lot of what's around this team right now can be a little bit dire, a little bit gloomy, we like to wrap up our, our little therapy sessions here with a, a lighter note, something to cleanse the palate, something to, get us feeling a little bit better about the state of things. And lately we need it. So I'll turn the mic over to you. Who or what is something around this team right now that's giving you hope or that makes you feel good or that you're enjoying watching um, that shouldn't get lost amidst the (laughs) rather dramatic struggles that this team has been going through recently. That's Aaron Nola. Mm. I think a lot of people expected him to have some sort of bounce back um, just because he was striking out a lot of guys last year, not walking them, but making some really bad pitches and uncomfortable spots and that really ruining his his, outing, his outings. But really, his stuff has looked really crisp. He's not making those same mistakes that he has in the past. And he's getting those some of those quick outs early in certain at-bats, and that's really keeping his pitch count down. And he's having those those really good outings. And it's a really good sign because Zach Wheeler also looked really good in his last start so if there's hope for this team that they could have stability at the top of their rotation and Kyle Gibson um, he's penciled in as the fifth starter but he has looked a lot better than he has um, since you know when they traded for him so you do hope that they're they can get some good starting pitching performances out of guys like Nola Wheeler Gibson Uh, maybe Ranger Suarez starts to figure it out a little bit he doesn't look as precise as he as he was last year, but you, you did expect some sort of regression. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I do expect him to be a guy that could constantly go six innings and, and give you somewhat of a chance. Um, hopefully Zach Eflin. I don't know how, if I, I don't know if it's health related or not, but um, I think he's going to get going. So I do think there's, there's something to look forward to in the rotation. Now, every time if they, if a starter goes seven innings and, they can only score one run and then it's up to the back end of the bullpen. It's not, 
it should be a good like it should be a winning formula, but it's not apparently to this team. So I, I don't think those performances are going to happen too often. I, I think um, you hope that it's an anomaly, but I do feel really good about how Aaron Nola has looked like in these last few weeks, and I, I think he's only going to get better as the season goes along. Love it. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Destiny Lagardo from Phillies Nation. You can find her on socials, especially on Twitter, Destiny underscore Lugardo. Destiny, thanks so much for hopping on and spending some time and helping us talk through it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul.